Hey everyone, welcome to the Unhandled Exceptional Podcast. I'm Dan Clark and this is episode number 46. And today is kind of a part two-ish. It's a different topic, but in the last episode, I was joined by Joseph Woodward to chat about the Golang programming language. And we actually finished recording that episode about five minutes ago. <laughs> but um, we just happened to both be really, really big fans of Vim. And whilst I wouldn't normally have the same guest on doing back-to-back episodes, I really want to talk about Vim because it's awesome. And so I'm just going to bend the rules and we're going to do another episode on Vim. So welcome back, Joe. Very long time no see. Very naughty, Dan, bending the rules back-to-back <laughs> episodes. They're my rules, though, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you've already introduced yourself in the last episode, which for us was like an hour ago. But as this is a different episode, could you reintroduce yourselves to the listeners? Yeah, sure, because obviously the last episode we talked a lot about Go, but not everybody's interested in Go. Some people might be more interested in Vim, (laughs) so we've got a different audience here. Uh, Yeah, so I'm Joe Woodward. I live in the southwest of the UK. I've been a professional software developer slash engineer. I never know developer versus engineer. There's a lot of contention around engineer. I find that whole area quite interesting and it'll be interesting to see where that goes, but I digress. I'm a software developer for probably about 15 years now. And I think as of late, you know, I decided to switch to Vim full time and here to, yeah, to talk about experiences doing that and just Vim in general. Yeah, I've really been looking forward to this one. It should be interesting. But before we do talk about Vim, I'm just going to do this episode's listener mention. And this one is a tweet by Houston Haynes. And he tweeted, Hat tip off to Drakan for a nice garden path intro to Docker for .NET devs. He navigates the primitives whilst also unpacking how the ecosystem can be leveraged in a .NET workflow. So he's referring to episode 43, where I did a solo episode attempting to demystify docker so thank you houston for the very kind words and if you want to be mentioned on the show just send a tweet using hashtag unhandled exception all feedback is greatly appreciated and i'm draken on twitter and don't forget that the podcast now has its own slack channel if you head over to the website unhandledexceptionpodcast.com you'll see a slack link there And lastly, a quick reminder that the podcast is sponsored by Everstack, which is my own company, providing software development and consultation services. For more information, visit everstack.com. Okay, now's the time we can talk about Vim. Although it feels like we need to somehow share our screens because you can customise Vim so much. I'm quite interested to see your setup, but obviously that's quite hard in an audio podcast. So if we do that later, then maybe we just have to articulate what we're seeing. Yes think about the best way of doing this do you think it's worth splitting out because you've got the concept with vim of how you interact with the keyboard and the different modes and everything and the vim editor itself is it worth like talking about just the vim way of doing things before we talk about the editor yeah i suppose it'd be good to cover the you know the, the foundations of vim what it is people may have heard of it may not have heard of it and then maybe some of the offshoots fit like NeoVim and then just Vim bindings and how popular they've become outside of Vim. So that might be an option. And then, you know, maybe talk about some of the features of why people would want to use, you know, what is a terminal-based editor over a fully-fledged IDE. Yeah, definitely. I suppose for context, just so the listeners are aware, a lot of IDEs that aren't Vim editors, most of them have extensions that allow you to interact with the keyboard and work in a Vim way of doing things, which we'll explain throughout this episode what that actually means. But just because you're using the Vim key bindings, you use that term, 
doesn't mean that you have to use the editor. Just like you, I've kind of like started trying to use Vim again, the actual editor. But for many years, I've used Vim in whatever IDE or editor I've been using at the time. So VS Code has got an extension, Rider's got an extension, Visual Studio's got an extension, Linkpad I use quite heavily. That's got a checkbox to turn on Vim mode. So these key bindings are everywhere. So it's just very, very popular. Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the the successes of Vim, and it's had this really common way to navigate, not just code, but navigate text in general. And it seems to have broadened its horizon, become quite popular in almost every ID. I use Obsidian for taking notes, and that has Vim bindings. I use VS Code for you know doing things, and that also has Vim bindings. And I think one of the powerful things from my experience, just committing myself to learning those bindings because there's, there, there is a bit of a hurdle to learning them a bit of a steep on-ramp to get into grips with them but once you do the powerful thing i found about learning vim bindings is they can be very easily translated from one id to another so whereas sometimes you know you might find yourself struggling going from one id to another you know with these these common set of bindings and shortcuts that you can start to use to manipulate text or code in our case it makes that transition a little bit easier and then eventually, you know, you might venture into the territory of thinking, actually, maybe I'll just see what using Vim for everything is like. And that's a different challenge in itself. But certainly, you know, Vim bindings can be very powerful and you can get a lot of the way there and, and reap a lot of the power of the speed you get with Vim by just learning the bindings. And you start to see them everywhere. You know, later on, we'll talk about K9S and they exist in there. And it's great being able to, you know, add a new editor. Oh, it's got Vim bindings. Great. You know, I can use all the same muscle memory that I'm used to using and you're off. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned one word then, which might create a part three of our podcast series. Obsidian, oh my goodness me, that's amazing. And yeah, I've got Vim turned on there as well, but it's such a great note-taking app. That's the thing, is it? Is is sometimes you intentionally or unintentionally, you start building this muscle memory. And I think that's what I found quite valuable learning Vim, is that muscle memory exists and I can easily you know get comfortable using the same muscle memory across different ids and you do commit to learning it and it, it does pay you know, pay back in the long run i suppose there's always that question as to you know how productive you know ignoring productivity versus effectiveness discussions you know, productivity is about producing something but it isn't always the right thing like how productive does learning shortcuts make you and you know, I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to make you complete your work 10 times faster. But some people, myself included, I just have this fascination with just, you know, continuously refining my workflows. And Vim ticks that box for me for some reason, you know, not necessarily saying that learning Vim all of a sudden you'll be able to finish pull requests 10 times faster or your your bosses will notice how much faster you are. But at the same time, there's something quite nice that I like about becoming an expert of the tools I use. And, and Vim is definitely one of those areas that I feel really happy when I'm, you know, I'm not context switch and I'm jumping between things in Vim seamlessly. And then also when you're pairing with somebody and they see you using Vim, there's also <laughs> you, you feel quite sort of happy when, you know, they're like, whoa, you know, what are you doing? You know, I kind of get warm and fuzzy like I'm using Vim. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a tweet a long time ago uh, and it said, how do you know if someone uses Vim? They'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there's definitely something there. I, it is it is very impressive to watch somebody who's proficient in Vim as to how <laughs> just the the sheer command they have over the text that they're manipulating. It is you know it's it's insane how quick 
And also, there's a bit of a culture around this, isn't there? If you're into Vim, there's definitely a bit of a, a Vim culture. And there are some great YouTubers out there. The Primogen is one, and he's just immensely fast in Vim. And you watch him editing, and it's just mind-blowing. And yeah, I suppose some people just you know in, enjoy that, that side of things as well. Yeah. Worth taking a step back, and for listeners that have no idea what it is, and actually trying to explain how it works and from a, how it benefits me point of view we're talking about productivity and you mentioned about shortcuts i think you're right i don't feel that i get a huge productivity boost from using vim in the same way as if i'm using an ide and i've got a shortcut that can do a bulk refactor across my entire solution you, you're getting like a hundred times productivity by pressing a keyboard shortcut you don't get that with vim it's not that kind of thing but for me it's kind of i've got my hands in the touch typing position I don't need to move my hands to the cursor key, back again, to the mouse, back again, doing that all day long. Your right hand constantly moving backwards and forwards, even just the cursor keys, which aren't very far away. But then you've got to find the touch typing position back again. In Vim, you never have to move from like the touch typing position. And I think that that's one extremely powerful thing. Yeah, the context switching is definitely a, a big one, isn't it? Is you do feel that you don't have to continuously switch contexts, you know, to the mouse and back again, or sometimes even switching IDs or, or tools. But yeah, maybe like you said, we should go back and give a bit more context on what Vim is. Uh, you know, we, we're a lot of the times here we're referring to Vim bindings as opposed to Vim itself. Yeah. So maybe for some of the listeners, we could go back and give them a bit of context on you know what Vim is and how to quit it. <laughs> oh can you tell me that that's why i'm using vim still because i can't get out <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh this is where i can use one of these sound effects on the which one is it there we are yeah can you hear that through yeah i can uh, i'll have to edit that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i found coincidentally enough yesterday this is quite a few years ago i did a youtube video it was a talk but i made it into a youtube video on vim and you could tell it's before I got all this decent setup because the audio is awful. But I will include it in the show notes because I go through basically showing how it works and breaking it down and all the different commands that you can very quickly navigate around. So I'll include that in the show notes. I'm trying to think of the best way of describing this now. I guess one core concept is where you've got your keyboard and you press keys normally in an editor. If I typed for each or if or whatever, then those words would be typed into the editor. And... That would happen in, when using Vim, when you're in something called insert mode. When you press escape, you can then switch to something called command mode. In command mode, then all the keys on the keyboard do different actions. And it's almost like your keyboard, when you're in command mode, becomes kind of like a, a gamepad where you've got so many different combinations of keys to press in different combinations which do different things. So your whole keyboard just becomes a command palette. And that's kind of where the power comes in. But all of this without having to move your fingers away from the touch typing position. Yes. Yeah, as you say, you've got the, the two different modes there. And I think a lot of the, the power from Vim binding comes from the command mode that you speak of. Um, generally, when you're in insert mode, there's you can edit the text and that's it. You can insert the text. But with the, the command mode, that's where a lot of the fun comes from, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the one where you're in this command mode, some places I read call it command mode, some places call it normal mode, but that's kind of like the default mode. Quite often I go into 
insert mode to type something and then instinctively I press escape and it, I would by default be back in command mode and that's kind of where my idle when I'm when I'm idle I'm in command mode and your cursor is like a, almost like a block when you're in a command mode where when you go into insert mode pressing I the I key puts you in insert mode but there's lots of other ways to get into an insert mode and that's when you can just start typing as you normally would code and then th- there is another mode called visual mode, which just allows you to do like block selections and that kind of thing. But the two main modes are this, these command modes and insert mode. Oh, actually, there is another mode as well called command line mode, where if you press colon, you get like a, um, a text box at the very bottom in the status bar where you can type extra commands. But m- maybe that's going a step too far with an audio podcast because we can't show it. But as you can see, there's these different modes. But let- let's focus on this command mode and... Oh, there's so, so many different commands. I think the it's probably a good way to separate the different commands out into um, two different categories, like navigation and actions, doing stuff. Yes, yeah, I think generally when you watch tutorials or videos on using Vim, they, they generally have a section on editing via insert mode or navigating horizontally and vertically because there are different mechanisms for being able to, to you know, navigate across the X, Y axis. Sometimes you might want to go to the end of the line. Another time you might want to go 10 lines down or five lines down. But you're right earlier, you, said, you mentioned about how you spend a lot of your time, you know, the, the default mode is usually in that command mode. Um, and a lot of the actions you'll use will get you into the insert mode. So you might be able to jump forwards and then edit or delete the current, you know, inner word. Um, and these are sort of commands that you can start to use that will then end up with you being in insert mode for you to carry on typing. Yeah, definitely. There's one command I really like, which I probably need to step back a bit and explain the individual commands before describing the whole thing. So some of the action commands, for example, like D is delete, short for delete. Some of the navigation commands, for example, like W, W just jumps to the next word. If you press it multiple times, it keeps on jumping one word at a time. If you put those together, you can do DW, delete word, that deletes the next word. But you can then say, you can combine them and do delete and then any navigation command. So if I wanted capital G is bottom of the file, I could do D capital G and that would do delete to the bottom of the file. So you can kind of combine all these different navigation and verb commands into do different things. And that one I really, really like, this is probably one of my favorite that I use all the time, is if I'm inside, if the cursor is inside something, so it might be inside two quotes in a string, it might be inside some braces, an entire method or something, then if it's inside that, I can do, like for example, I mentioned about delete. If I do di quote, then that's like delete inside quote, and then that'll delete everything inside the quote. Or there's, if I do ci, change inside quote, that does exactly the same, but like you mentioned before, it then drops you into insert mode so if my cursor is somewhere in the middle of a string it might be a long string i can do ci quote immediately everything inside that all that string is gone and i can start typing what i want to replace it with and just the way you can combine these different commands together in different ways it becomes actually so so powerful yeah it really doesn't uh, it's things like i don't know say you have a function for instance and you want to change the arguments of that function just the ability to jump to inside that function and change everything between the brackets 
to delete everything within it and then you know you start writing your syntax that you want or renaming functions you know you sort of change in a word and it will delete that whole function if it doesn't have white space in and then being able to just effectively navigate around both vertically and horizontally around text being aware of the syntax of the text such as white space and brackets and and the, the fact that it takes that into comparison and then being able to compose those commands into editing i suppose once you get into those habits and you build that muscle memory you're very efficiently able to navigate a code file and also using some plugins uh, or using some of the existing features within vim multiple code files as well uh, you can very quickly yeah find yourself flowing through the code as you change it without the context of shifting from mouse to keyboard and back again i think that's one of the things i love about it just the fact that you mentioned about when it becomes muscle memory when it does become muscle memory it's it's like you're thinking things to happen and the code just morphs as you're thinking about it and i think that's the key bit it sounds really complicated and when you when you're first learning it, you're going to hate it. You've got to get past that point where it's muscle memory and it's just intrinsic in your mind and you're not thinking about it. But once you do, then the code kind of morphs as you think it to happen. It's quite magical, really. Yeah, you can almost edit the code or the text in the speed you're thinking about it. Yes, yeah. And yeah, it just it just starts to feel natural. And like you say, it does require that bit of upfront investment to learn just the basics of the a lot of those Vim bindings. But when you do you know, develop that muscle memory, it starts to become quite rewarding. And then you can start to incrementally learn the next set. Or you might notice something that takes a little while to do in, you know, when I say a little while, I mean in Vim time, that is maybe feels a bit awkward to do. And generally you'll find there's a different way you can do it using fewer keystrokes. And again, it just kind of fits into your your whole workflow there. The whole experience of editing code just becomes really rewarding and fluent because there's so much less context switching. Yeah, definitely. And I'm learning new things. All I've used it for like, I don't know, 15, 20 years and I'm still just learning stuff because you, there's just so many different ways you can you can use things in combination and little tips along the way. So it's so, so powerful. Yeah, I think... For me personally, having now moved full-time to using Vim as an editor, it kind of adds another layer on top of that because where you're used to flowing through your code base or a file using Vim bindings, the same applies but on a wider project level now. And then earlier on you mentioned about the uh, the interactive command line. You can press your colon, you get your command line down the bottom. You can use that to execute shell commands, so to execute tests. And it has a buffer to remember the last ones you used. So you can easily jump to it, press up, and then you have your history there as well. So for instance, a common workflow, whereas normally if you wanted to mod- make some modification and run the tests, you'd have to move over to the left, find the test, right-click and run. With something like Vim, you can you know, modify the text and then quickly run the command to run the tests. And it all feels very fluid. And that can also apply to the ID and the navigation between Windows and Panes and different files as a whole. Yeah, that's probably a good leeway to talking about the Vim, like the editor and plugins and stuff. Just a couple more little points I'd like to mention about the like the editing, some which make it really powerful that I think is worth pointing out, is just little things like you mentioned before, that if you want to jump down 10 lines, 
any of these Vim commands I mentioned before, you can just type a number before you do the command and it will do it that number of times. So for example, like J to go down, if I press 10 or 100 J, it'll jump down 10 or 100 lines. If I, I mentioned DW for delete word, if I type 10 DW, it'll do that 10 times. There's another concept called macros where you can, I won't go too much into it, but you can record a macro, so a quick shortcut, do a whole bunch of commands or whatever, move around, type stuff, write some code, stop the macro, and then replay it. And one thing I quite often do is, say I'm editing, I don't do this so much with code, but if it's like a data file, which I always want, like, want to go, and like JSON, I just want to go repeat lots of times, I would record a macro of whatever I'm editing for that line or a few lines, and then I can replay it. I can do like 100 replay, and it just goes, and do this macro 100 times, and it is incredible. Oh, and there's also the period shortcut, which just repeats the last action performed. So if you did DW, which is, as we said, delete word, then you can hit period to repeat that action. Or DD, which deletes the current line, you can hit period to repeat that. Or if you go into insert mode and type some text, and then hit escape to go back to the command mode, hitting period will repeat whatever you typed in insert mode. Or... If you run a macro, which we just mentioned, period will repeat that too. So there's lots of shortcuts which can just save you so much time. Yeah, in terms of its extensibility, you know, we'll move on to plugins in a moment. But in terms of everything it does, it does it does feel like it's evolved with a modern workflow as well, like say being able to create macros and create repeated commands. You know, it's not the kind of thing that you'll sit down and learn in one go. It is a life time or a multi-year thing of learning your basic commands starting there and then just starting to build on top of it but as you start to peel back those layers you realize how powerful it can it can become shall we talk about the editor now the vim editor because we've kind of like so far been talking about how you interact with the keyboard in the vim way of doing things but you can do that in with extensions and everything but the editor itself we mentioned about plugins there's various communities you mentioned what is a good reason that, like you've said, you've recently switched to using Vim? What, like, if, if you were why? using Vim, exactly, <laughs> why, yeah, why, why, why? <laughs> why did you go from this fully fledged, you know, graphical <laughs> ID to a text based editor? Yeah, I don't know really. It looks cool. <laughs> no, um, I suppose I, I didn't really have any intention to do it, but I started on my current where I work now, and there's a number of people that are Linux people that use Vim, and you sit there and you pair with them and you watch them and you just watch how effortlessly they sort of you know float between a code base and there's no you know there's no context switching and i suppose i just i was go for con and i was talking to somebody who who had a bit of experience with it and they were talking about how they their experience is switching and kind of gave me some tips i thought i'll try it and i think because vim is so customizable as an editor as well you have lots of different plugins and it's got a, a really you know, a great community around, you know, Vim enthusiasts that have made it a great development environment for, for people. You can generally find, you can create the same workflows that you have normally in Vim. They either exist within Vim by default or there's a plugin to allow you to do it. And for me, I took a look at what's called NeoVim, which is kind of a, a modern version of Vim. I mean, Vim as, a, as an editor is, is quite quite old. I think it goes back to sort of the, the 70s. 
And NeoVim is a reimagination, a modern version of that. And it also includes an LSP, which, you know, to some of your listeners that don't know, LSP stands for Language Server Protocol, which was released as part of Visual Studio Code. It was published by Microsoft. And basically what it is, is it's an RPC-based specification. I think it's JSON, JSON RPC-based specification that allows a language server to communicate with an editor. And it was it was a really good, you know, it's a fantastic idea of Microsoft to standardize on a way to allow editors to communicate with language servers or, or some means of a language server. And they published it alongside VS Code as a specification. And NeoVim was somebody to, to quickly jump on board because before this LSP came out, all these different editors before VS Code they would all have their own different implementations as to how they would integrate with with languages. And the LSP kind of was a specification that language servers could follow and IDs could follow to make them all interoperable. And NeoVim does that. So you have VS Code-like IntelliSense and functionality language support inside of NeoVim, which, you know, is kind of one of the the, the core features of, of NeoVim along with, the, you know, a Lua as plugins to create these really sort of fast performant plugins. So you're able to create text-based versions of an ID that you might be used to with, you know, file trees on your left-hand side or being able to search for code via the syntax or the symbols. So it wasn't a big jump for me. I suppose I was quite keen to continue my Vim journey and go from bindings to actually using it as a fully-fledged ID. And I think that's kind of what, what drove me to it. And it didn't take me long to adapt it to the workflow I was most common with in my case in Goland. So I've recently, the bindings and extensions in like whatever editor I've used, I've used for many years, but I've not used, I had a period many years ago of using Vim the editor, and now I've actually just started using it again. And when I'm doing .NET development, I'm still in Rider, I tend to use Vim where I would have used VS Code. And one of the things I like about it is I do a lot of stuff on the command line. So I just uh, navigate the file system on the command line. I use K9S, which we mentioned before. I use um, SmartGit as a GUI, but I also do a lot of Git on the command line. And a lot of these tools bring up your default editor. So like, for example, if I'm in Git, when I'm doing the commit message, it's popping up my default editor so I can type the commit message. If I'm doing an interactive rebase, it's popping up my default editor. If I'm in K9S, I'm doing some Kubernetes stuff. If I press E when I'm on a, on a resource, it can edit that resource. And it's YAML-based. Resources in Kubernetes are YAML-based. So if I do that, it opens up my default editor. So a lot of these command line tools, for it to open up my default editor, which I've customized and made super powerful and has all the Vim bindings in the same terminal. So I use Windows Terminal for Windows, and it's all in the same place. Then it's just... A really, as you mentioned before, it's a really nice workflow where you're not jumping around, you're staying in the same place. And that works really well. But it's not really replacing Rider for .NET development because I would miss all the power, the intelligence you get, which is very, very language-specific, probably way more so than the LSPs. But I do use it for everything else now. I suppose it depends a lot on the language as well. Um, you're right that things like Rider, they do have... In, Visual Code as well, Visual Visual Studio. They do have fantastic language support because you know they they've got this years of experience with building these and you know really fine tuning it to that language. So you do you know I did find in terms of my editor's knowledge of the the language structure, 
switching to new of him it did lack that but it made up in other areas for go for instance they have what's called delve which is a debugger which works via command line so integration there is is good and then go has you know an lsp itself the one they use for visual studio code and again it's definitely no goland but as you mentioned earlier, you kind of get into this mode when you're in your editor, if you're comfortable using a terminal and you're, you know, you're using a couple of programs with it. You know, the great thing with something like NeoVim or, you know, using Vim as an editor is it allows you to stay in that and that's worth something. And sometimes you're happy, you know, to take those small hits in the fact that, you know, you lose this little bit of ID knowledge around a particular part of the language and you, you can make up for that in, in other ways. So, yeah, it is a kind of... Some languages you'll have better support for it than others. Rust, for instance, has great Vim support. And when the developers develop Rust, kind of one of the things that they said they wanted to do is make, you know, some of those popular Vim editors first-class citizens. But some, you know, some some other languages, the, the language support isn't so great there. So you do have to make that decision as to, you know, whether you can uh, you can give up the, the idea in that case. And I do find myself going back to Goland in some cases when I'm trying to debug something. But it's become far fewer and Know, not so much anymore now that I'm used to using Delve, which is a command line debugger, which you know has some integrations with Vim. So we've said that there's so many different plugins and everything. What's your favorite plugin? Ooh. Oh, put me on the spot now. There's a quite a common popular one that you know is used by a lot of people called Telescope. Um, and essentially what it is is you know, in some editors such as Rider, I think ReSharp will probably have something similar in Visual Studio, but it's just a terminal you type anything into and it will figure out what you're typing. It'll either grep what you're typing or it'll find the file or find the test. And it's kind of like that. It becomes this central means of navigating to anything. So if I go into a code base, say Go code base, and I'm looking for a, a particular file, there's a, a simple two command shortcut there to pop up a, a window start typing it'll in real time it'll filter through exactly what you're looking for and it can become syntax aware and you can build plugins for it as well it's got a really big ecosystem that allows you to search through git commits anything you want really because vim is so extensible you can literally find extensions to search through anything you want and that would probably be the most used one simply because you drop into a code base or a document and you can easily find where you want to get to really quickly you can find bookmarks anything the list goes on. I use that quite a lot as well. And there's a open source library called RipGrep. And that's cross-platform, so it probably is the same, not just Windows. But I've used that for quite a while. It's like a command line grep tool. And I believe this uses that. So it is very, very quick to do the grepping. But as you say, it plugs into the bookmark stuff. Uh, you can just search for lots of different things. It's really nice. And there's so many different plugins built on top of it. Yeah, I mean, it itself has its own healthy ecosystem of plugins and plugin authors. Uh, you're right, though, it does use RipGrep under the, under the hood, and it's really fast, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just looking through my... So I've got a Git repository. I'm afraid it's not public because it's got all my configuration. I did write a blog post about it, which I can include in the show notes, I like how I've set this up. But I've just got all my things like Chocolatey, Git, K9S we mentioned before, NeoVim. So I use NeoVim as that flavor as well uh, all my posh powershell windows terminal all those configurations i've got in the same git repository and so i'm just looking at that now at that setup 
and I'm just looking at all my plugins. And so another nice one is NVimtry, which is kind of like gives you like typically what you would normally get in in an editor where you've got the sidebar and you get that, but it you still get all of Vim shortcuts in the sidebar, the file explorer kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I use the same tool. It's really helpful when you're saying switching between, say, JavaScript or another language that requires a separate editor. You know, when you, you in the case of using Vim as an editor, you're still using the same tooling there. So you have the, exactly the same workflow for every language. And naturally, some IDs do have good support for other types of, of source code and code files. But it just creates that nice continuous workflow, doesn't it? It sort of flows quite nicely. You mentioned about Lua before, which is kind of like the scripting language behind it all you can configure. But you can also do your config files as just Vim files. And I know there's like different people have different preferences, whether they have their main config, everything's a Lua, or whether you're just using these Vim files. For me, I'm just using the Vim file, and I need to like explore whether Lua would make my setup more powerful. Do you have a preference over the two? I can't say I do really. Um, I mean, like you, I have a, a repository of my dot files. And I think that's one of the, the nice setups you can you can also include, where you have a repository to get your machine back to the state it was in, you know, that you're used to working on. So I can run my make file, and it'll install my brew dependencies, and then it'll install NeoVim, and it'll install my plugin manager for NeoVim, and then it'll install all the plugins, and I'm kind of good to go. But a lot of the extensions in new of him are lua powered so you know you you generally just end up copying and pasting a lot of lua codes but no real preference personally i know there's quite a few different extension managers and the one i use is called vimplug and that's kind of like less lua based because you put it in your vim commands and you just do plug and it's quite interesting because this shows the how open source and, and community driven this is it's almost like an include, but you put if you've got a GitHub repository to the plugin you're doing, if you take away the github.com slash bit and just put like the username slash the repository name from the URL, that is what you put in your config. So it's plug in quotes, that string. And then Vim would automatically know what GitHub repository has that code in. So you can look at the code, you know what's being installed. But it's just so quick to install these plugins based on these open source projects. Yeah, yeah. In the case, I use something called Packer. And you run Packer Sync and it'll download them and remove any old ones that you've maybe removed, some plugins mm. that you don't want anymore. And then it'll compile them into one big Lua file. And, you know, there's really not a noticeable, I've, you know, lots of plugins, there's no notable impact on performance. But like you say, it makes extensibility quite nice, especially when you start to, to use these, these plugins. Yeah, definitely. Now, I know you have a hard stop in two minutes, so we've probably got to very quickly wrap up. We normally do dev tips. We've already done one today because this is the second episode today. I did have a very quick one. I mentioned before about, the, or hinted before, that I kind of map my caps lock to my escape key. And it's because generally when, you, when you're using Vim, you're pressing escape all the time to go back to command mode. And with a modern keyboard, generally the escape is like quite high up on the top left of the keyboard. So you're pressing it all the time. So that's quite a, a reach. Now, who uses your caps lock key? As in, it's just the perfect place for your little finger to be pressing all the time. I'm a Windows user. I'm sure Mac and Linux are similar. There's a tool called Sharp Keys, which I, I can include in the show notes. And that just lets you remap different keys at a low level. And now on my computer, caps lock is escape. And that just makes Vim a lot easier. 
That's one of the nice things I like about Vim as well is when people, a common thing is where are your dot files, show me your dot files and people share their dot files and you can see their configurations in there and you can learn about these new plugins and the shortcuts they use and, you know, it really does open your eyes to some of the things you might be missing out on. And it's quite enjoyable sometimes looking through these plugins people are using and the shortcuts they use and, you know, you suggested using the uh, the caps lock for escape and I've switched the same thing and, and you're spot on, it's made a world of difference. <laughs> So my dev tip in the spirit of Vim, as I was learning Vim in the first place like many years ago, there's a great website called Vim-Adventures. And it's a simple game that introduces you to some of the basic Vim commands in the you know, in the context of a side-scrolling third-person top-down view of a little character that has to navigate these worlds and pick up rocks or you know navigate mazes using just some of the, the common Vim commands you'll start to become aware of when, when using Vim. So if you are interested in, you know, seeing seeing what Vim is like and trying to understand why people talk so fondly of it, then definitely take a look at Vim Adventures. I did play around with that quite a few years ago, but I didn't have a huge amount of time, so I might look again at that and see if I can learn anything new, see how far I can get throughout the game. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You can you can find your Vim way of doing things, and you know you discover that <laughs> other ways, and then comes the challenge of trying to reprogram your muscle memory. Awesome, awesome. Right, so I know you you have to shoot. So quickly before we go, best place for listeners to reach out to you. I think you mentioned Twitter last time. Yes, uh, probably Twitter would be the best place. Uh, underscore Joseph Woodward. You probably include it in the show notes. But yeah, if, you know, if you're interested in talking more Vim, I love talking about Vim. So I'd happily talk Vim stuff. Well, we need to actually just catch up. And I know you've not got time now, but like share screens because I'm looking forward to seeing your setup. And I've got quite. I'm quite happy with my setup now, so I can like compare notes. Yeah, we really should. Do. I'm looking forward to it. All right, brilliant. I best uh, best dash then. But yeah, thanks for very much for this. Thank you everyone for listening. A quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Everstack, which is my own company providing software development and consultation services. For more information, visit everstack.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please do help me spread the word on social media. I normally use the hashtag unhandledexception and I can be found on Twitter at Dracan, D-R-A-C-A-N, and my DMs are open. And my blog, danclark.com, has links to all my social stuff too. And we will include links to all the stuff we've mentioned today in the show notes, which can be found on unhandledexceptionpodcast.com.